I can make a lot of money and work for God at the same time. In fact, I make a lot of money so that I can do God's work. You know, God wants me to be happy and prosperous. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you missed the radio program, Then just look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform at 10 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded and you'll find other content on there as well. There's also a live premiere of the radio program at 9 a.m. on the God's Resistance YouTube account page. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S. R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Today, we're going to be continuing our look into the Sermon on the Mount, and we are still in Matthew chapter 6. We had gone through the Lord's Prayer last week and what it means to pray. How do I pray? We want to know those things. It's very important. And even if you, you don't consider yourself a Christian, you don't consider yourself to have had a radical change in your life with God, prayer still is going to be the thing that helps you to walk with God and to get to where He wants you to be. So it is very helpful. If you missed it, go back and listen to it on your favorite podcast platform. But today we're going to be talking about laying up treasures, laying up our treasures. So the context of this chapter, I think is safe to say, it speaks about ambition an awful lot. Jesus is trying to teach us what true and real ambition is like. So the chapter then speaks about two kingdoms in this ambition. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world. And those seem to be the driving ambitions to everybody. They either are working full out for God and that's their ambition or they're working full out for the kingdom of this world. That's the other ambition. Something to also think about here is there is a big boom in our culture right now about minimalism. Why minimalism? Why do people even care about that? Why do they like that? I think it's because of simplicity. Simplicity hones our focus in. Simplicity helps us to push distractions aside and to focus on the things that are most important. It frees us from the abundant distractions that are in our society and that are really considered to be cultural norms, though they're not really normal at all. But Minimalism helps us to focus better on one aim. And I think that the reason why minimalism is catching on in our culture right now is because we intuitively understand that we can't focus on so many things at once and keep some measure of sanity or even success. 
And I think it harkens all the way back to the teachings of Jesus. If you look at the teachings of Jesus, the seed of minimalism is inside of the things that he says. He says, push off these things that don't matter so much and focus on the one thing that does matter. So he had a minimalistic lifestyle, and that minimalistic lifestyle starts first inside of our hearts. Jesus was a minimalist as it relates to motive and ambition. He wanted you to take everything and boil it down to a a sole ambition. Are you going to work for God and his kingdom, or are you going to work for the kingdom of this world? The questions then that come up as um, that minimalism as Jesus relates it to our motive and ambition is, who do you serve? Who will you serve? And how long will you serve? So we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Lay not. Lay not. What in the world does that mean? I think that we probably can figure that out just by context and reading, but he's saying don't amass things to yourself. Don't amass the things of this world to yourself. Don't save all these things that you can, and then when you get that, you get more, you get more, and you become a hoarder. And I know that there is, uh, there's people that hoard lots and lots of things in life, and it ends up being a, either a burden to them, or when they pass from this earth, and maybe family and friends have to go through their house, and they've got to deal with all of their uh, hoarding lifestyle now because they've, they've packed things in there. I remember when I was in high school, I was dating a girl for, uh, I don't know, it was probably about two years. I wasn't a Christian then. And this girl lived with her grandmother. Her grandmother had a, a, a quite a large house. But I remember you would walk through the downstairs and there was a straight shot from the front door to the kitchen in the back. But you had to pass through, from what I remember, two rooms to get there. And I always wondered, what are in these rooms? I've never been in there. Doors have always been shut. One day I did open those doors and I looked in and there was things stacked from the floor all the way to the ceiling. Boxes, uh, some things were not in boxes, but I mean, there may have been a 10 inch space between the ceiling and the things that were stacked on the floor and a small path just about shoulder width for you to walk in there. And it was like that in so many different places inside of the house. There was this hoarding, this laying up of things. And I understand. Some people growing up in the time of the Great Depression learned to save most everything uh, because they weren't sure what they would even be able to get. So they, they made the best use of everything. And that's good. And we should do that. However, we also have to realize what is the point of life? Is, it, is the point of life these things and hoarding these things and, and building this up? Is the point of life going after money and all? I remember I worked for another guy who was a landscape. Um, he, he owned a landscape company. They grossed a million dollars a year. This man was after the dollar. This is all he was after. And to the point of he had no meaningful relationship with his wife, appeared to be not much of a meaningful relationship with his children. And it was like once he, he built a nice house and got something, now the next thing was it's an in-ground pool. Now the next thing is this new Harley Davidson motorcycle. Now the next thing is I've got to upgrade my house. I mean, 
it just never ended. It just kept going and going and going. And Jesus is telling us, don't lay up for yourselves. Don't lay up. We have appetites. And appetites in and of themselves are benign. There's nothing malignant or wrong about these. But the question is, what is your appetite? What appetites do you have here in this life, in this world? What are the purpose of your appetites? I think the God-given purpose of appetite is to bring our desires to action. If I didn't have an appetite, I wouldn't know that I'm hungry. And if I didn't know that I'm hungry, I wouldn't go seek after food. It's the same with any other kind of appetite in life. There are some appetites that are perverse and they're not what God had originally intended. But in their original ways, appetites were for survival. They helped us. There's a place in in the scripture where it speaks of in the Proverbs, hell is never full. It's always hungry. It's always opening opening its mouth wide, swallowing in more and more souls and damning them to hell. And there's something of that When the appetites that we have are not after God, but they're after this life and this world, you'll find you'll never get to the end of it. It will be something that consumes you and ultimately poisons your soul. And I I know there's plenty of stories of people that later in life, they look back and say, I wish I didn't waste my life trying to make all this money and all that. I lost my wife. I lost my children. I lost my family. I lost my dignity. I mean, the stories are endless. But he says, lay not up treasures for yourself. What are treasures? The implication by the word treasures is treasures are, are, are something to, that have a high value. There's something to be cherished. Treasures are something that we seek after. It's like treasures are something that are hidden and then we find it and it becomes this treasure. Some of you may find that, you know, going around to yard sales. Uh, you go to antique malls and shops. I, I don't know what it is. But maybe you find this treasure, it's cherished, it has a high value to you, it's precious. And we think of treasure in the, in, the, in the most swelling manner. It's not just these little trinkets and things that we might find, but treasure is something worth, worth pursuing, worth giving our life to. And oftentimes, or sometimes, treasure is rare. Because we can't say that everything that we own is a treasure, but there could be some things that we really do treasure. They're above all else. And he says, lay not up your treasures. Treasures are anything that's above the normal, above humdrum, above the average, not mediocre, but something that excels everything else. He says, don't lay up your treasures upon earth. Why? Storing our treasures on earth is basically living for this world. There's a difference, however, between living for this world versus living in this world. We have to live in this world. We're here. But living for this world is the driving force of why we're here. I'm living in this world because I'm living for this world. That doesn't even make logical sense. He's telling us, do not lay your treasures up here on earth. The directive is, don't do this. Why? Because earthly treasures, those material things that you and I can get here on earth, There's nothing against us working, making a living, providing for our family. There's nothing wrong with that. But he's saying, don't lay your treasures up here on earth because earthly treasures are temporary. They don't last. Some of them even break down. Some of our belongings break down while we're living. You can spend a lot of money on something that seems to be of quality, and yet it still falls apart. 
I remember years back, I bought a pair of Clark shoes on sale. Up until that point, I can't remember what kind of shoes I wore, but I bought a pair of leather Clark shoes. They lasted for three and a half years. I still have them. I mean, they've got to be about 10 years old by now. I still have them. They're a little worn, but they didn't rip apart and break. It's amazing. It was good quality. However, when I look at the bottom of them, the soles, I I say they didn't rip apart and break, but there is a very thin barrier between my big toe and the ground if I were to put those things on. They eventually are going to wear out, even though they're great quality. Earthly treasures will not last. They will fail. They will be in, in decay, corruption. They will break. They're subject to destruction. They're subject to decay. They're subject to even being stolen and taken away from your possession. Like what Jesus said, don't lay your treasures up here on earth where moth or rust can destroy or thieves break through and steal because earth's not a safe place. With all of death and corruption and everything that falls apart in this earth, earth's not a safe keeping place. Why? Because of sin. Sin has ruined the paradise of God on this earth. Sin not only causes decay in the world around us and things break and fall apart, but then sin causes those desires for people to steal, to take something that's not theirs. And so Jesus said, why would you live your life with the ambition to amass temporary things to yourself that when you die and go to the grave, you can't take with you? They're going to break and fall apart here. And then what? Or somebody could even steal them from you. And then what? What are you going to do? Are you going to keep going on? Are you going to just keep mindlessly going after these things, even though there is really no value to what you're doing? No lasting value, at least. So he said, don't lay your treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So here we find in the beginning of this verse, but God's alternative. And God's alternative is conditional to your choice. Do you want God's choice, or do you want yourself? Think about that for a minute. Oh, the tremendous power of choice. But, God said, it's up to you. It's your choice. Notice that he said, here, lay not up or lay up for yourselves. Notice that laying up is not the problem. It was never the problem. The problem is what you're laying up and why you are laying this up. Notice that he appeals to something here. He says, lay up for yourselves. There's two extremes that we find in society. There's the overwhelming love of self. And then there's the opposite of that, which is the hatred of self. So you may ask yourself, which one's right? Well, let's look at the overwhelming love of self. There is no shortage of self-help books. And I'm not saying that there isn't um, something good in trying to improve ourselves to be better people than we were yesterday. But there's no shortage of self-help books, self-help YouTube videos, self-help blog articles. A lot of it has to do with mixing in Eastern mysticism, yoga, feng shui, Buddhism, new age stuff. All things basically bow to you. That's the thing that's so crazy. 
is a lot of these self-help things, you're thinking, I want to help myself. I want to better myself. And what happens was, what ends up happening to a lot of people is that they become their own God. They're at the center of all things. And you think to yourself, that can't be good. Well, what if we go to the other spectrum, though, the other end of the spectrum? What about hatred of self? Is that what God wants? He doesn't want me to be so egocentric, so maybe I should hate myself. Well, a lot of times people have this mindset, you know, well, that seems wrong to go to that end of, you know, self is in the center and, and, you know, I'm my own God. So they have this wrong idea in their head where they think taking care of myself is selfish. I shouldn't do that. I should always live my life for others and not for me. There's a certain extent of which those words are true, but there's also a certain extent, extent of which those words are not true. A lot of times people that have these kind of feelings, they have no confidence. They don't know what to do next. So Jesus, however, does appeal to self-love. Another place in the scriptures, Jesus says uh, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that's the Old Testament law as well, to love our neighbor as ourselves. How can we love our neighbors if we hate ourselves? How can we love our neighbors if we only love ourselves? You see that there's a little bit of a tension there. Jesus tells us to lay up treasures that are for us. There's nothing wrong with having a healthy self-love. When I say healthy self-love, God made us in such a way to love ourselves and take care of ourselves but he doesn't want it to get perverted and go out of its bounds. That's where we have run into the problem. But he appeals to that self-love by saying, lay up for yourselves treasures. And so you're thinking, treasures? I want treasures. And then you want to lay them up. That's your motivation. That's what Jesus appeals to. Something for us to think about. So again, we look at treasures. The implication, something cherished, something with high value, something I need to seek after, something that's precious something that's rare, something that's above the mediocre and the humdrum and the average. He says, lay up your treasures in heaven. That's different. He said, don't lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break through and steal, but lay up your treasures in heaven. Why? Remember before I said everything on earth is temporary. Well, that goes to, uh, in, our, in our logic, we can think, well, that if, if things are laid up in heaven, Heaven's an eternal place. It's not going to break down. It's not going to fall apart. We're not going to suddenly just be like, oh no, heaven blew up. Heaven's going to last forever. Heaven has lasted forever. It's the, it's the dwelling place of God himself. So he's telling us to lay our treasures up in heaven because it's eternal. Heaven's not subject to destruction, to decay, or to theft as the earth is. Heaven is the only safe place. Why is heaven the only safe place? Because in heaven, there is no sin. There's no effect of the fall of mankind with destruction, death, and decay. And there's no wicked heart in heaven that would want to steal. So Jesus is trying to help us to realize we need to be laying stuff up in the heavenly bank account. You may be asking, well, how do I even do that? What does that even mean? I would suggest to you that if you have a Bible, read the Bible, see what values are in the Bible that are high in the estimation of God and go after those. Laying treasures up in heaven may be those good works that Jesus shows us to do. Laying your treasures up in heaven may be denying some of the treasures here on earth and and working for a greater cause than that. That doesn't mean that you always have to deny because God gives us all things richly to enjoy, all those things that are good and right, obviously not sin. He gives us those things to enjoy. 
but we have a higher calling than all of that. So laying our treasures up can be some of those things. And I would challenge you to read the Bible and ask the Lord, Lord, what kind of treasures do you want me to lay up in heaven? What kind of good works do you want me to do? What do you want me to do to advance your kingdom? What do you want me to do to live a life that brings glory and honor to you, my maker? Verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Four, why should we follow Jesus' teaching here? Here's where the answer comes. If all of your hope is in your treasure, what happens? And I'm not even talking about treasures on earth or treasures on heaven, um, specifically singling one of those out. I'm just saying, if you put all your hope in a treasure, what happens? Well, in earth, it could be, as Jesus mentioned, that moths and rust would destroy. Robbery could take place. So if we're earthly minded about our treasures and all our hope is put in it, what happens when all of our treasures are smashed and ruined? We have no hope. We don't know where to go next. We have no purpose in life. I think that's why people commit suicide at times because their treasures are misplaced. And it's sometimes not all of the greatest fault of their own that could just be that they just don't know. They didn't know what's going on. That's why Jesus tells us these things because they're important. But if we lay our treasures in heaven and we're heavenly minded, what happens? Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not on the things on the earth. And obviously this scripture is specifically um, speaking to a believer if you be risen with Christ. But here's the thing. If we, if we set our affections and our hopes on the thing above, what tyrant on earth can take those away? Who, who out of anybody in all existence can take that away from me if it's laid up for me in heaven? If God is going to keep it for me, who's going to take that away? The only one that can take it away is me. If I turn my back on God and break my covenant with him, that's it. Other than that, there's nothing. There's nothing in the way. No robbery, no decay, no corruption, no nothing. So I'm living not for this life, but for a life that's promised to me. He says, where your treasure is, think of when you're in love. When you're in love, or, or the one that you are in love when is, is not near where you are, think to yourself, where are your thoughts? You can be doing a whole loads of other things, but you're thinking of them wherever they are. I think about wives whose husbands are serving in the military overseas. Where's their heart at? They love their husband. They're thinking about him, even though they're not with him. Think about when you're at your mundane job, and yet your mind is everywhere but there. You're traveling somewhere else because your heart's somewhere else. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So whatever we treasure most, our affections will be right there. So what do you treasure most? That's why Jesus gives the warning. Don't lay treasures up in earth because destruction and death awaits there. Lay it up in heaven because there it'll be in safekeeping. And he says the reason is because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And your heart is what's going to lead you in life and in death. So Jesus says in verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body, shall be full of light. What is light here that he's talking about in the beginning? The light of the body is the eye. It's not light that's like coming out of my eye. 
into the world around me, but my eye is the window of the soul. It's light coming in is what he's speaking about. The, the eye is the light of the body, or the light of the body is the eye. So what is he talking about? It's a lot of metaphorical understanding to help us understand concepts that we couldn't really concretely explain. But the eye here, if we're to just look at it plainly, is talking about our focus, our inward vision. Our eye is the light of the body. What our focus is, what our inward vision is, does something to us as a person. And it says our body, our whole person, our whole body. Your vision affects your whole person. Where you're looking, that's where you're going. I remember when I first had my permit, we were driving back from taking my permit test with my dad, and I'm driving in the front seat, having a great time. I look out the side window, and I'm looking out, and my dad says, whoa, 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 keep your eyes on the road. He said, always remember this, wherever you look, that's where the car is going to go. And I, I probably was going off to the side. I thought he was being a little over you know, the top about it, but it's a good point. Wherever you're looking, that's where you're going. And he said, if your eye, if thine eye be single, if your eye has one aim, your vision is one aim and one purpose, and here it's understood as God's kingdom, then your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is single, if, if it's pure, unmixed, it's not distracted, your body will be full of light. And fullness only comes when you're empty of everything else. And this fullness of light, of which is being spoken of here, is the fullness of truth, the fullness of satisfaction. Notice it's the whole body full of light. God is, in, is going to engulf our whole person inside and out. But then the warning goes of verse 23, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? He says, thine eye, because it's your choice. It's your responsibility. If your eye is evil, and here it must be that evil is synonymous with the many different ambitions and motivations, because before he said, if your eye be single, now he's saying, if your eye be evil, not double. But evil comes from not having the glory of God as your one aim, according to the context of what we're looking at here. It says that you will be evil. It's not just an act of evil, but it's a state of being. If thine eye be evil, if it's continually evil, if we're continually mixed and our one aim isn't God himself, he says our whole body will be full of darkness rather than light. This is another fullness, a fullness of ignorance. And this ignorance is moral and spiritual, spiritually ignorant, morally ignorant, full of darkness, full of lies, full of deception. Basically, it's like I'm in the matrix and I don't even realize it. He said, if, we, if our eye is evil, we'll be filled with darkness. If the light that is in thee be darkness, it seems to be that that light can also be consciousness and even the conscience itself. If that light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? And why is it great darkness? Because it's not just a little darkness, but the fullness of darkness. We basically allow darkness to flood us. If, if our eye is not singly aimed towards God and his purpose for my life and the glory of his kingdom, then he says that I'll be filled with darkness because my eye, my vision, my inward eye, where I'm looking determines where I'm going. And here's where it all comes to a culmination in verse 24. No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon, or money. 
So this means this is no man without question. It's absolutely true. There can be only one driving force in life. Something will dominate. Something will be left undone. God and money are at odds if they are the motive for your ambition. So what is your driving force in life? Why do you do what you do? Do you do all that you do for the glory of God? Who's your master? What do you put the most time and thought into? Do you have a single or an evil eye? Are you full of light or darkness? Don't judge according to your feelings, but according to these teachings of Jesus. What is the Lord saying to you through this? Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. I want you to introduce yourself to me, set up a time that you and I can meet. I can coach you and help you further to walk with God. I want you to like and follow our Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages for more uh, teaching, preaching, and to help you on your journey. And then you can connect with others that are going on their journey as well. Tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK. And tell your friends about the social media accounts. And above all, join the resistance. God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.